In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents Betches Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome to Betches Moms. I'm Aileen. And I'm Brittany. And today we are so excited to have Dr. Pooja Lakshman, a board certified psychiatrist specializing in perinatal psychiatry and women's health at George Washington University School of Medicine. And she's a frequent contributor to the New York Times parenting section and an advisor to Peloton. Welcome, Dr. Lakshman. It's so great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. We're excited to have you and to learn everything that you have to teach us. <laughs> everything. <laughs> so, okay. Perinatal psychiatrist. I had to look up perinatal. What does that mean? Can you tell us what that is? Because I've heard of postnatal and prenatal. Yes, absolutely. So when we say perinatal, we basically mean the whole period of time, starting from when you get pregnant until after a year uh, of giving birth. But that being said, as a perinatal psychiatrist, sometimes you'll see us being called reproductive psychiatrists. So we all take, also take care of women that are trying to conceive, that are going through infertility, that have dealt with miscarriage or traumatic birth. Um, also women that are having issues related to like PMDD, uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So if you notice you're having mood or anxiety symptoms around the time of your period, um, or issues related to menopause as well. So basically all of the fun things that happen in women's lives, <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a pretty specialized field. How did you become interested in this? Yeah. So I was a women's studies major when I was in college at Penn. And then I also majored in biological basis of behavior. And I always knew that I wanted to work with women. Um, but when I went to med school, I did my OB rotation first and I hated being in the OR. I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> um, and I just fell in love with psychiatry. I fell in love with just like talking to, to people about what's really going on in their lives and, and getting to hear about kind of like the real story. So, um, I was lucky when I was at GW, we have a clinic called Five Trimesters, um, and it's a perinatal psychiatry clinic. So I was able to get specialized training working with women in pregnancy and postpartum. And it's just so rewarding because it's a time when women are more motivated to seek out help for themselves because, you know, as you guys know, it's so hard as a woman to make time for yourself and to actually say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to therapy or I'm going to get this stuff taken care of. But once kids are in the picture, um, we can kind of, you know, people are more motivated to, to make that time and, and recognize that um, something's going on and it's worth uh, taking the time for myself. So I love it. 
So you mentioned the five trimesters. What are the five trimesters? We hear about four trimesters a lot. Where does the fifth one come in? Yeah. So in mental health, we say five trimesters because the whole period of time that you're deciding that you want to become pregnant and that you're thinking about, you know, making your plan to get pregnant is actually very ripe in terms of prevention. So especially if you're somebody who has struggled with depression or anxiety in the past, there's actually a lot that you can do in that first, you know, planning trimester to put in place good support. So that means talking to your OBGYN to let them know that you've had depression before, and maybe you've taken medication before. And is it a good idea for you to stay on the medication? Maybe getting hooked up with a therapist or a support group ahead of time, because you know that you want to have good support in place. The other thing is that sleep actually is super protective when it comes to postpartum depression and anxiety. So if you're someone who's had a history or let's say you've had postpartum depression, anxiety with your first, and you're thinking about having Mm -hmm. your second, that's a period of time that where you can really have those conversations with your partner and your support system to say, you know, we're going to do things differently this time. And I'm really going to look at how can we protect my sleep? How can we make sure that I have more support? Um, So when we say first trimester, that's what we mean, like that planning time that a lot of times women, um, I mean, not everybody has that luxury to be fair, right? right? Um, right, But if you do have that time, it's great. If you are somebody that had struggled with depression or anxiety before having a baby, what are the chances that you will develop postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety? Yeah, so that's a great question. So in general, if we back up and and we say just in the general population, the risk of having some type of mood issue during pregnancy or postpartum is about 15 to 20%. And that's if you've never had any history or anything before. If you have had a history, that risk goes up to about 40%. Um, and if you've been on an antidepressant, like if you've been on Zoloft or Lexapro um, prior to pregnancy, and then you go off of your antidepressant during pregnancy, your risk actually goes up to close to 70%. Um, right. So, so yeah, if you've had a history, that's probably the most powerful risk factor. And you should be in particular, like talking to your OB, OBGYN, making sure that, you know, you have a therapist or a support group, or you're kind of putting structures in place to be prepared and try to prevent. Is it safe to continue your like anti-anxiety or SSRI during pregnancy? So that's a great question. And of course, you know, I, am not giving medical advice today. I'm not anybody's doctor on here. (laughs) Um, And you should talk to your OBGYN, but the vast majority of antidepressants, things like Zoloft, Lexapro, Prozac, um, are very low risk and, and prescribed during pregnancy. And it's always a, it's always a risk risk conversation. So we know that untreated depression and anxiety is linked to adverse obstetrical outcomes, impacts your, you know, your baby, it impacts your bond. So it's the risk of untreated depression um, weighed with the risk of uh, medication exposure. And um, we prescribe these medications all the time. And so um, if you're somebody that has anxiety or depression that is impacting your functioning, you know, if you're constantly consumed by guilt, if you're isolating from all of your friends and family, if you feel like your mind is racing all the time because you're so anxious and you can't fall asleep, all of those things are going to impact your ability to parent and to be a mom. Um, so, so yeah, it's really important to talk to your doctor about medication. So some of those signs that you just mentioned, um, what are some other signs to look out for um, while you're pregnant or postpartum that might lean towards that you should seek help? 
there's a bunch of different signs. And some of them during pregnancy can be harder because of course you're going to be fatigued when you're pregnant because <laughs> you're pregnant, right? You're not going to have good energy. Your appetite's going to change when you're pregnant. So we can't really turn to some of those classic um, symptoms that we would may maybe look at um, outside of pregnancy. But during pregnancy, what we see a lot of is feelings of guilt and hopelessness, like this feeling like you're, you're not, um, you're really dreading, you're having a hard time connecting with the baby with the pregnancy. And if you're somebody who's had miscarriages in the past, it's really common, or you have a higher risk of having depression or anxiety during pregnancy. The other thing is that sleep disturbance. Of course, once you get to the third trimester, it's a lot harder to sleep. But if you're having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep during pregnancy, that can also be a sign. And then um, the other thing is like, you know, kind of um, difficulty functioning. So all of these symptoms could, could, you know, come and go. But if you're noticing that any of these symptoms, like things like guilt, things like hopelessness, um, the trouble with sleep, um, if that is making it so that you can't function at work, or you're not able to get out of bed to get on your Zoom calls, you know, you're, you're having issues with being able to do the things that you need to do to take care of your other children in the house, that's a sign that it's impacting your functioning. Um, one example that I like to give, because a lot of times people don't really know, like, what does it mean yes, for my hard. functioning to be impacted? So if, for example, like with postpartum anxiety, um, I had a patient who had postpartum OCD and she, with postpartum OCD, um, what's really common is, is that you can get these sort of like graphic images of something really bad happening to your baby. So she, every time she would walk up the steps in her house, holding the baby, she would get these images of like dropping the baby and the baby cracking its head open and just really, you know, awful. So because of that, whenever her husband was at work, she stayed on the bottom floor of the house. She would not wow. go upstairs. So that's, that's, you know, that's the anxiety impacting your decisions and impacting your functioning. That's such a scary thought also, because I can really relate to that Same. feeling. I don't have a kid yet. Um, we're both pregnant right now, oh, okay. but we awesome. recently, <laughs> we recently talked about like this, like deep fear that like lives within about like suddenly something happening. And like, there's so many, I, you know, my, my sister-in-law, she's like, oh, you can't worry if they fall. I'm like, how can you not worry? <laughs> and that like, you know, that gasping feeling, how can you, I mean, I understand if it like becomes debilitating, like you say you don't go upstairs. Is there a point where it's okay, like where it's natural versus where it becomes a problem? Yes, absolutely. That's a great question because the truth is absolutely, of course you're worried. It's terrifying to think about bringing a baby into this world and then taking yeah. <laughs> care of this little human being, right? So there was actually a study that looked at new parents to, to ask exactly this question, um, about intrusive, scary thoughts. And they found that every single person in that study, they looked at hundred people, every single person had had scary, unwanted, intrusive thoughts of harm coming to the baby. 50% um, of people in that study had scary, intrusive thoughts of intentional harm coming to that baby. So even that is normal. Um, when so you, what, does that, what does that mean? Yeah. So that means when those graphic images are coming, like, let's say you're in the in the tub with the baby and you imagine actually putting baby underwater. Right. But you get so anxious about that. Like it's disturbing. Yeah. It's not something that you want to do, but it's like this feeling of like, oh my God, what if I did that? It's actually right. an anxiety thought. It's not something that's related to hurting your baby. That is actually common too and normal. So the, the way that we know when these things become clinical 
-hmm. is if you can't unthink them. Like if those thoughts are following you around all day, somebody that does not have OCD will have a thought like that and then be able to be like, oh, that's silly. It's not going to happen. Move on. Do my next tasks. Things are fine. Somebody that has OCD, those thoughts are going to be really heavy, really sticky, and then are going to impact functioning, right? Like where it gets to the point of like, well, I'm not going upstairs when my husband's not home. Um, So when you see it starting to impact, or I'm not giving, I can never be the one to give the baby a bath, right? Because this is too scary for me. Like when you're starting to see it limit your ability to function, that's Mm -hmm. when we think that this is something that is clinical and that would respond to treatment. But having kind of sporadic thoughts like these um, is actually completely normal. Okay, that's at least comforting. <laughs> that is comforting. <laughs> these, these scary intrusive thoughts are you very like comforting. <laughs> I have a question. You mentioned like um, postpartum depression and anxiety and OCD. What is the difference between post- like PBD and PBA, and what are yeah. like the symptoms of both? Yeah, great question. So. Um, postpartum OCD is a type of postpartum anxiety. So you can think of there's two general categories. There's postpartum depression, and then there's postpartum anxiety. And underneath the umbrella of postpartum anxiety is things like OCD or postpartum PTSD. Like if you had a traumatic birth um, or like panic disorder, those are all types of anxiety disorders. And there's a lot of overlap. So more, more common than not, if you have some type of depression or anxiety, you're going to have a little bit of both. Um, but if you want to try, you know, one way to think about it is that with depression, it's more of a sadness and kind of like a hopelessness. It's this feeling that I have this new baby and I'm never going to sleep again. And I made the wrong choice and my life is over and it's never going to get better. Granted, every mom, every parent has thoughts like that. When you're not depressed, those thoughts are not constant. You have them and then, and then your baby smiles at you and you're like, oh, okay, this is why I'm doing this, right? But when you have depression, there's no moments of lightness. You never get any feelings yeah. of like warmth or joy. Anxiety, for postpartum anxiety, it's more of these kind of like scary thoughts, intrusive thoughts, um, just fear that you're never doing anything right and that everything's going wrong and will never get better. So it's kind of more activated. Both mm-hmm. of them can come with problems with sleep. Both of them impact your ability to um, think clearly and be able to function. Um, but, and they usually go together. Interesting. But not always. Like, so sometimes we'll have people that have postpartum anxiety um, and are not depressed at all. So then they don't recognize it, you know, and it might not get screened for. So you mentioned that sleep a lot and how sleep could really impact how you're feeling and your chances of developing PPD or PPA. Do you see um, any increased risk with your first, second, or third pregnancy being that maybe, you know, with your first pregnancy, you're able to really sleep whenever you want, et cetera. But then with a second or third child, you have other priorities. So it's not just your own life anymore. Yeah. So that's a great question. And we don't have kind of research necessarily on, we don't have good research on this, but I can just speak sort of anecdotally from what I see in my practice. Absolutely. I think that when you're pregnant with your first, exactly, you you can, and when you have your first baby, there's also, in, in a lot of cases, there's two people, right, that are able to help. So at least you can still get some rest if you have a partner that can help out with feeds or that can help out with the stuff that's happening before and after feeds. 
versus I have a lot of patients that are having their second and then they have a toddler at home and then it's just them and their partner, especially with the pandemic, you're, you know, it's a lot harder to get help in the home. And so, um, absolutely. It's, it's kind of a different, uh, it's a completely different ball game. So, so yeah. Yeah. Um, just to like, maybe make this part a little bit lighter. <laughs> what are the, like, so, so you're saying that like a lot of this is normal. Like, you know, I've heard also like not connecting with your baby is kind of normal in the beginning. It's not necessarily of PPD. If you do recognize that you might have it or a friend or a partner has it, like what, what can you do to seek help or what can you do? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and I love that you're asking this question because the great news about PPD and PPA is they respond so well to treatment. And treatment okay. is something that, and that's why I love being a perinatal psychiatrist because my patients get better, you know, yeah. whether it's through therapy or whether it's taking a medication within a couple of weeks, you're, my patients are like, I feel like myself again, you know, and I'm excited to be a mom and like, yeah, I'm not sleeping that much, but I know that I will eventually. And you feel back to yourself. And so the best resource in terms of finding a therapist um, or a psychiatrist, like somebody like me is postpartum support international. Um, the website is www.postpartum.net and they actually have coordinators in every state. So you could even just email the coordinator and they can help with helping you find referrals. The other really easy thing is to talk to your OB. Like OBGYNs are great at helping to start medications if that's indicated or getting you um, connected with a therapist. Um, Postpartum Support International also has uh, virtual support groups almost every day of the week. They've expanded all of their offerings during um, the pandemic. And, and the thing to say, too, is that not everyone ends up needing to be in um, to take medication. Right. It could be enough of just like getting more support, talking to other moms, um, getting more sleep and figuring out how to have those boundary setting conversations so you can get more sleep. So I don't want this to seem sort of like all doomsday, but it's just recognizing it's something to be aware of. And if you're connected and hooked into some of these networks, if yeah. you have any warning signs, you can hopefully catch it early. Right. Or if you see it coming up with a friend, you can help them catch it early and give these resources to them. Um, so you also started a company called Gemma and it's all about education around what you call the triple threat of mom guilt, martyr mode, and perfectionism. Could you tell us what those things are and just a little bit more about Gemma? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I got on Instagram professionally um, at the end of 2018. And it was so interesting for me for my, my account at Women's Mental Health Doc as I started getting all these DMs from people being like, you know, is it okay for me to take my Zoloft? Like, is this depression? Or is this just stress? Right? And obviously, I can't answer medical questions on social media. But so the so a lot of influencers started reaching out to me to do takeovers of their stories, which I loved doing. But I recognize there's so much on social media that's baby based. So like there's the class that you can take to learn how to breastfeed. There's the class to sleep train your kid. You know, there's all the stuff about how do I have a vaginal birth, but there's nothing focused on moms and there's nothing focused on mental health. And so I started Gemma because I realized there needs to be an education platform that's specifically focused on women's mental health. So that's what we're doing. We're a year into things. And um, our first digital course is unloading the triple threat, how to overcome mom guilt, martyr mode, and perfectionism, because these are the three things that I see with all my patients. And you don't need to have depression or anxiety to be struggling with mom guilt or martyr mode um, or perfectionism. And so much of it is about looking at 
what can I do for myself to set boundaries, to have hard conversations and say like, look, my sleep is important. And I know that I need to get good sleep or to say like, look, I know this is going to be a hard time. So I'm going to reach out to friends who can be there to support me. Um, I think our culture really, um, in a way sort of puts moms on a pedestal while also demonizing them. You know, it's sort of like this, this meme of like the mom who's doing everything that's baking all the cookies that that's also starting her own company and is like this superstar CEO. And, and those expectations are completely contradictory. There's no way to meet all these things at the same time. Um, but yet social media kind of like shows us all of these images of women that are supposedly doing it all. So in that process, what happens when you're trying to please everybody and do everything for everyone else, you completely lose yourself. And then you end up just angry and irritated and annoyed um, because no one else is helping you. So when I say like the martyr mode, that's what I'm talking about, that it's like this kind of pattern that comes up as a mom where you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and um, nobody's taking care of you and you have not learned to actually ask other people to help you. Um, mm -hmm. So the class is only $27. It's super accessible. You get videos, you get texts, um, and you also get a downloadable packet of exercises and a Facebook group. And so we're growing and we're, we're building more of these um, resources that are accessible and also bringing in other experts. So for me, I just really want moms to know, to be aware of the clinical stuff, but also just to have tools to yeah. advocate for themselves. So you talk about super moms or like this pressure to be a super mom, like, or, you know, with perfectionism and the mom guilt and, you know, the triple threat you talked about, are there any practical tips that you can share now with our audience about how to deal with these things? Yeah. So number one, especially during the pandemic is to recognize that all, everything that's going on for you is not internal. It's, it's not a personal failing on your fault not a personal failing on your part. So it's not burnout, it's betrayal, right? It's like, we live in this structure that does not support families. We don't have universal paid uh, parental leave, right? Childcare is super expensive. So instead of kind of having an external system that is supporting you, we've put all the pressure and all the demands onto mothers to be the linchpins and to fix everything. So recognizing that those expectations are unreasonable. Um, but it's not your job to make everything perfect and to fix everything. And it's actually the system that is, is failing you, right? So externalizing some of that anxiety, externalizing some of that guilt. The other piece or the other tip I'll share with around guilt in particular is that I see so many patients who like their kind of whole their whole problem with setting boundaries is they're kind of like, well, but I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel guilty, you know? Um, so I don't want to feel guilty. Right. And I think the, the uh, idea of not feeling guilty is an unrealistic one because guilt is something that is like baked into our culture for women and for moms, especially. So instead of trying to tell yourself that you're going to stop feeling guilty, instead you need to look at guilt. Like you can feel guilt and it doesn't need to be your compass. You can still be making the right decision for yourself and for your family and feel guilty. And the guilt can just be there. Like the goal is to have the volume dial go down a little bit on the guilt. The, the goal is not to get rid of guilt because if you're constantly making your decisions based on, I don't want to feel guilty, then you're not making good choices for you or for your family. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like having it like as a passive thought or just like being aware of it, but not necessarily letting it guide your choice. Like, okay, so I feel guilty about this, but I'm making the best choice for me and my family. Exactly. I kind of think of it as like a faulty check engine light. It's just going to be there mm-hmm. and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Are there like common things that women do to try to be super mom? That Like, are there like signs that you, you should Cause like, again, same question, what's normal and what's like starting to become a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that I, I, I see a lot and it gets written about a lot. I think it's important is this whole concept of maternal gatekeeping. So when you have a partner that does want to help, but instead you're constantly nitpicking them, you're like, no, that's not how you wash the bottles. No, that's not how you change. <laughs> right. Because then, and then when you're doing that, they're just going to be like, all right, well, I'm not good at this. Right. And I'm going to pull back because you're just criticizing me. Right. Um, So that's a place where, you know, this is a dynamic that goes on. And so for moms, especially if you're somebody who's type A or perfectionistic or likes (laughs) to be in control, like your work is then recognizing, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm going to let him or her, you know, um, make a mistake, do it a different way. That's okay. Like, and, and it's actually a lot harder to do that. It takes more emotional control. Um, But in the long run, that's better for your family, right? Yeah. I definitely feel that <laughs> to the core. Like I, my, my husband gets so mad at me because every morning, like he's been helping me a lot. I'm 32 weeks pregnant and I just like can't get out of bed in the morning and he gets my sundress. And for whatever reason, I feel like I have to have control over what he's wearing. I'm like, well, it's going to be kind of warm this afternoon. You put him in a long sleeve shirt. I need to change him and put him in a t-shirt or like that's those pants and that shirt doesn't match. And it's so silly, but it just like, drives me insane. And <laughs> when he was a baby, it was the same thing with the bottles. It was everything. I felt like I had to control everything. Right. But it's and which just makes sense because it's like, there's so much chaos that comes with being a parent. Like everything constantly feels completely chaotic and out of control. And so I understand why moms kind of like latch onto these things to feel like you're kind of have some control <laughs> over the chaos, but like recognizing the function that it plays in the relationship. So is, so the, the, the solution is to sort of force yourself to relinquish some of that control and be okay with chaos or perceived chaos. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. The one that you think is going to happen and then you realize it doesn't happen. And then you're like, Oh, (laughs) maybe we've learned something here. (laughs) I just have one more question just to go back to something practical that people can take from. So let's say you become pregnant and then all of a sudden, you know, people are like, oh, you must rest. You must take it easy for the next 40 weeks. But like practically, you know, you're either working or you're your full-time mom. And how do you like practically rest or take that type of advice seriously? And how serious it actually like, is it that you do take it easy? You know, how important is that? Yeah. So that's a great question. And, you know, I can just share my own, I'm actually going through IVF right now. And like, I hate when people say that to me, like rest, you know, you need to rest. And, um, you know, like when people tell you to smile, like, no, right, right. it's just (laughs) another burden that you're putting on women, on moms. Like, well now, now it's your job to be positive. Now it's your job to think positive and rest. And it's like, no, I don't enjoy your pregnancy. (laughs) 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 Exactly. Exactly. And, and there's no evidence, at least in, from a fertility standpoint, like that, that, that argument actually is not true at all. Like there's no correlation, you know? 
Um, so I think you just have to, you have to go with what works for you. And, and I have plenty of patients that are like very active and doing lots of stuff and, you know, working hard during a pregnancy. And, and if that's part of your identity, you know, then you should keep that up, right? Like, yeah. why should you give that up? Um, cause that's, you know, that's just another way that you're kind of ending up sacrificing something of yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that's like, that's really important because you say, like, if it is your identity, why lose that? Like, what well, you don't need to listen to other people, what you should be doing. Which, right. like, if in, ca- in the case of when you do lose your identity is where it could then fall into all these other things right. that we've like talking about. like the resentment and the martyr yeah. mode. And, you know, and I'm, for people that say that to me, I'm just like, do you know me? Like, y- you must not know me if you think that I'm just going to be, like, hanging out and resting. And <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's great advice. And thank you for sharing that you're, you know, going through IVF now. Maybe you can come back and tell us all about that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing everything. Everyone, please go check out Gemma. Um, How can, so how can people follow you or um, check out your company? Yeah. All of the above. Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at women's mental health doc, and I post lots of stuff related to pregnancy and postpartum. Um, and then my company, Gemma, the first digital education platform focused on women's mental health. We're at www.gemmawomen.com. And then I also um, have a book coming out in 2023, all about the tyranny of self-care. So it's called Empowered uh, free yourself from the tyranny of self-care and build true well-being. So that's coming out with um, Penguin Random House that I'm writing right now. So uh, wow, um, I would love to come back and talk all about that too. <laughs> well, congratulations. That all seems amazing. I won't tell you to take it easy. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Betcha's Moms podcast. Thanks again, Dr. Lakshman. And everyone, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow Betcha's Moms on Instagram. Follow us. I'm at Aileen. Brittany's at Britt Rich. Again, tell a friend about this podcast. It means the world to us. We need to get the word out about Betcha's Moms podcast. Even if they follow the account, just be like, oh, hey, do you know they have a podcast? And it's amazing. They have really smart people on every week. And I'm not talking about us. But anyway, go do that, please. And remember, there are no rules in this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.